Last Monday morning, uh, I read a post on Facebook from a friend of mine, or his, his wife actually put it up. Uh, he's a pastor in upstate New York district, and uh, I've known Pastor James for quite a few years, and this is what his wife wrote, and I'd like to read it to you, how I want to start this morning. After church service today, we went to Central Square. Central Square. Have you ever heard where they get a lot of snow in New York? They get about the most. We went to Central Square for lunch. As we exited the car to go into the restaurant, we noticed a car at the busy intersection going backwards. We watched as cars swerved around it. James noticed an elderly lady in the car and realized she was in trouble. He crossed the road to get to the car and stopping the traffic from hitting her. He put her car in park in the middle of the busy road. It turns out the car stalled, but kept rolling backwards. The car was keyless start, so she got confused, and more so when people drove around her, giving her the bird. James got the lady out of the car and walked her to the passenger seat. James drove down the road with the car to make sure it was operating properly before letting her drive it again. Definitely save this elderly lady from getting hurt or worse. Seems like God keeps putting him in these situations of helping people. It was strange no one else stopped to help. The look on her face when she found out that he was a minister was priceless. She seemed honored. James said it was more than being a minister. It is about caring for others and by, and by getting involved. A grandmother gets to spend time with her family tonight. I've known James and Laurel for quite a long time. Interesting little piece that she wrote on Facebook. It's interesting to me how we respond to various situations. I think some of that comes from the way we were raised, from what we were taught and how we were instructed maybe to do things. Is that a fair assessment, do you think? We, we've learned how we respond to some things. Today, I want to explore two competing, I'll call them perceptions, two attitudes that we have uh, that will greatly impact the way we do things. And I'm going to give you four stories this morning that the whole message is going to be on, and you just heard one. So there's three more to go. So here's the second one. His name was Roger. He started off as a bagger in a grocery store. But after a period of time, through his diligence, through his attention to detail, he worked up to assistant manager, where he was ordering the groceries and setting up the schedules. Roger had put in countless hours, overtime hours, weekend hours. He just did everything absolutely right. And when the store was expanding to another community, his supervisor at his store said, I'm recommending you and you're going to get it. You're going to be the manager of the new store. The issue was the owner of the store was an absentee owner. He didn't even live in the same state. And he decided that the right person to take that store over to be the new manager was his nephew, who knew nothing about supermarkets, but as he just figured he'd put him in there. Roger became incredibly discouraged, and his attitude was, it's not what you do, it's not how you do things. It was, why even bother to try anymore? If it's not the effort I put in, then why even bother? 
Let me give you a third story. Some of you may recognize the name of Admiral James Stockdale. At the time of the story, he was commander. He was someone, you know, if I could go back in my own personal history, one of the reasons why I wanted to become a naval aviator and why I wanted to fly A-4s over Vietnam was because of him. He flew an A-4. It was shot down over North Vietnam. He was imprisoned. He spent seven and a half years in the Hanoi Hilton. Seven and a half years. He was interrogated over 300 times. When he landed, the Viet Cong broke his leg. During further interrogations, purposely, his leg was snapped two more times. He was beaten in the face with a fan belt so badly that he went into convulsions. And I won't even go into other things that happened. He was kept for seven and a half years in a three-foot by about that chair to here, nine-foot concrete cell with no windows, seven and a half years. One light bulb off the ceiling that never went out in seven and a half years. Two and a half of those years, he was not let out of that cell. He was in shackles almost the entire time. But he never gave up. And I'm going to come back to him at the very end. There's three stories. But here's the fourth one. I'm talking about per perceptions, perspectives, postures, you name it, whatever you want. The first perception is hopelessness. And I'll tell you where the sermon's coming from, and that the rest of it is going to be just right out of Scripture. It's all Scripture, the rest of it, okay? And it comes from me working down in my shop back about two months ago. And I was listening to Scripture, and I heard the story once again in Numbers of a group of men being chosen to go and spy out the land and it was the Lord was saying, you got to preach it. See how these stories may dovetail in your mind. They dovetail in mine pretty well. The fourth story is this. And I'll put the scriptures all up here for you. You can look them up in your own Bible if you want. They're all going to come out of Numbers 13 and one out of Numbers 14. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan which I am, giving to the I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. How many tribes were there? Twelve, right. So how many people were being chosen? Twelve. Okay. We know the story. Let's look at some more of it. They came back to Moses and Aaron. These, after, these are the twelve who went out. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh, in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. 
Here is the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live there in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near to the sea along the Jordan. And the story continues. But the men who had gone, and I'm leaving a little piece out here, and I will pick up that in a little bit, the reason I'm leaving it out. But the men who had gone up with them said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. A bad report. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's the land God's sending them to, but they spread a bad report. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people who, saw, who saw, we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from Nephilim. They were giants, by the way. They were big people. Did any of you watch any of the NBA stuff? I mean, the uh, NC2A tournament? I mean, some of those boys are giants, aren't they? I mean, one kid, seven foot four, 308 pounds. I'm going, wow. <laughs> we seemed like grasshoppers in their eyes. And we looked the same to them. The children of Israel had been promised this land. Do you suppose if God makes you a promise, he might be able to fulfill it? I, I guess I do. But I, I put up there, you know, posture or, you know, whatever. The posture of 10 of the 12 was that it can't be done. It was, no, we've got to withdraw. This is hopeless. This is we're helpless in their sight. This just is never going to happen. In spite of what God said, that the land would be theirs and that God would overcome their enemies, these men didn't believe that it could happen. Come on, just put yourself, put this church, do any of these things ever maybe ring true to you? A long time ago, I came across a word um, I don't know how many years ago it was, it, that it was one of these new words of the year that went into the dictionary, and probably you've not used it since it came out, I don't know, 20 years ago, I don't remember how many years ago it was now, but I looked it up again to get a good definition of it. The word was awfulizing. How many of you have used the word awfulizing this week? Probably none of you. But it, the dictionary says it is the ability to anticipate the worst outcome in a situation. The ability to look forward and say, man, this is going to fall apart. And that's what 10 of them said. They awfulized. They said, I don't care what God said. They're giants out there. That never happens in the Church of Jesus Christ, does it? No. We never say it can't be done. Let's read some more of the story. This comes from Numbers 14, first four verses. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against 
John and Eddie. <laughs> and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us into this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken plunder. Why wouldn't it have been better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader, a new leader, and go back to Egypt. Put yourself in their place. What would you have said? This isn't the only option in this story to go back. The option in the story is to trust God. If I said the first option was hopelessness, the second one is hopefulness. Notice what happens as the first naysayers begin to give their negative report. Read just a little bit of something we read already and then put the next verse up with it. But the people who live there are powerful and their cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. But the new verse is this. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. Caleb interrupted them and said, come on guys. If God says he's with us, He's with us. Listen to how Moses and Aaron responded to the grumbling. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite community, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, the land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But after sharing all of that, do you see what the crowd says? But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the... This is amazing. God's presence becomes visible to them. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed among them? 
I'm going to ask you a, a dumb question, okay? I always ask at least one dumb question in every sermon. I use that phrase, a dumb question. Of the 12, how many names can you remember? Two. It's not a trick question. You don't remember the others, do you? I mean, you can search them out. You can find what their names were, but you just don't call them to name. What's your outlook on challenging circumstances? I'm going to quit. I did my best and it didn't work out. I'm going to quit. Or everything has been against us, but God has given me a purpose and God has said, this is the way to go and I'm going to go. What's it going to be for you and for me? I've got three more full pages of notes here, which I'm not going to give you. I just basically want to stop right here. I've got much more scripture. But I just want to throw this challenge at you this morning and just let us think a little tiny bit. Yeah, we're going to, in a eh, 45 minutes or so, we'll probably begin our annual meeting. As we look back, I hope our annual meeting causes us also to look forward. Will we see giants in the land? Yeah. Is God with us or is God with them? God's with us. I believe that with all my heart. God is with us and he has a hope and a future for us. God has a plan for you and me together and it's to move forward. It's to trust our new pastor as he comes and leads us. I'm just going to get really personal for a second, okay? Someone said to me last week, boy, he's really young. Does he know anything? <laughs> That's a fair question. That's a really fair question. He knows that God has asked him to be our leader. And you voted unanimously last week to ask him to be our new leader. What he may not know and may not have experienced, we can pray together with him for God's guidance. I said I'm just going to get really personal for a moment. When I was exactly Pastor Eddie's age, I'm going to say in that next 10 years, 12 years, were absolutely the highlight years of ministry in my life. Because I knew I didn't know, and I knew I needed God to lead. And God did. I do want to, I don't know if I can make this, can you get me to my last slide with a picture on it, with words on it, so I don't have to go through about 10 slides? 
Not the blank one, yeah. Okay, just blank it for just a moment. Uh, back in that time frame when I said, uh, were some of those best years of my, my pastoral ministry, I read a book that was a business book. It was not a book for the church. But I found so much in that book that I was transferable to the church. It was probably a, I'm going to assume it was a New York Times bestseller, at least in the business world. It was written by Tom Peters. Some of you may remember the name. It was probably written in 1982. And he had about eight principles in that that I found I could transfer. One of the researchers out of um, Stanford University uh, that worked with Tom Peters, this is a circular way to get what I'm trying to say, uh, was an, I've already given you a name of two Jameses already, my friend James who's a pastor, James Stockdale, and then this James Collins, who uh, was a researcher, and he interviewed Stockdale after he came back from Vietnam, was finally released. And he asked him a f an interesting question. He said, Admiral, tell me about the men who did not return. And I'm going to give you the exact quote of what he said. And then I'm going to show you one piece of that quote on the screen in a minute. The question was, which prisoners didn't make it out of Vietnam? His response, quote, oh, that's easy. The optimists. Wouldn't be the answer I would have expected. Oh, that's easy, the optimists. They were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas, and Christmas would come, and Christmas would go. Then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter, and Easter would come, and Easter would go. And then it was Thanksgiving, and then it was Christmas once again. And they all died of a broken heart. He said, but this is a very important lesson. Put it up there for me, please. I think we can look at this and say this. You must never confuse faith, faith that God is going to intervene. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, that God will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. You must never confuse that God is with us, that God has a plan, that God says, I don't care what the ten say, I say. You can't afford to lose the fact that God is in control. No matter what the naysayers say, I don't want any naysayers in this place. Okay, this is probably the last time I'm preaching, ever. <laughs> so the naysayers, I'll just kick you out the door, okay, and whatever. God is good, and he's made promises. Okay, just for the fun of it, you know, I've said this to you 20 times, some of you will remember. You know, here's this land that they say is flowing with milk and honey. 
that's, that's okay. Milk is good stuff, unless you're my wife who hates it. And honey is good stuff. But in one of the other passages, and I've said this so many times, they wanted to go back to Egypt to their, what was it they wanted to go back to? Leeks and cabbages. Okay, I know some of you had cabbage for, you know, St. Patrick's Day. But which would you prefer, milk and honey or cabbage or leeks? Come on. What do you want? God has promised something good. Let's get on with the plan. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that you can give us a kick in the backside every now and again and say, would you please listen up? I've promised you something pretty good. Would you just accept it and follow me? Lord, thank you for what you do with us and in this church. And Lord, I pray that as we look towards the future, the future would be bright. Yeah, there are going to be challenges because there are giants out there. Giants who will try to stop us. But Lord, I just pray for victory. One little victory at a time. And that we would know your blessing. And we would then be able to share that with others. Lord, let your spirit fall on us. And maybe Pastor Eddie and Pastor Isabel, and Pastor Brian, Pastor Ron, Pastor Fred, and myself, we wouldn't just be two, but Lord, we would be the beginning of a mighty leadership team that would see this church move forward. Lord, I pray now your blessing on us and through us each in Christ's name. Amen.